Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Katie Geary. She is a manager and podcaster at the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. She is here to discuss the findings of this year's Religious Freedom Index, which just came out. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Very excited to be here today. You know, I, I've had someone from, from Beckett on the show uh, before uh, Luke came on and joined us, but why don't you uh, just, just tell our listeners again, what exactly does, does Beckett Law do? Sure. The Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty is a nonprofit public interest law firm that defends religious liberty. So the First Amendment right to religious freedom, that's all we do. Uh, we, we've done it for over 20 years. And we protect religious liberty for people of all faiths. We like to say from A to Z, from Anglican to Zoroastrian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you take a lot of court cases. Uh, is it pr- primarily legal work? Yes, yes. We're a law firm, um, but we do other things like, for example, a little bit of research with this Religious Freedom Index. Right, right. And that, that, that's our topic today. It's been going on for a few years. Just tell us generally, what is the Religious Freedom Index? Right. So we were looking around and we really wanted, we wanted to find data on the full spectrum of religious liberty issues. Really, we wanted to know what's the American attitude towards religious freedom. And we weren't finding that comprehensively somewhere else. So we decided to do it ourselves. So we wanted to be able to pull on this full spectrum of issues related to religious freedom and to be able to track some changes over time. So we built this index and we've been running it. This is the third year now. And it's just giving us good insight into how Americans feel about religious freedom and about specific aspects of religious freedom. And let me ask you, uh, when and why did you start this project? As you said, it's not a legal project. Um, so, and it's fairly recent. So, well, when, and, when and why did you put this together? Hmm. I think the first idea for it, I think it went back, you know, five years or so. We did some, some kind of background work with our partner firm, our partner research firm, Hearts and Minds, um, about five years ago before we started running the full index um, in 2019. And the reason why we, we wanted to do this index, we want to have this data, is because we just didn't find it elsewhere, right? We have as a religious liberty law firm, you know, we take cases that, that run the full spectrum of religious liberty issues, you know, establishment clause cases and free exercise cases. And we wanted to know, you know, how Americans feel, how supportive Americans are of religious freedom for their fellow Americans. So that's, that's why we started the index. And what we found is that Americans are generally very supportive of religious freedom. So it's been 
it showed some really positive results, I'd say. I, I think it is very valuable to get a broader uh, conception of where Americans are on, on religious freedom because we know that those, you know, those, those opinions that are pro-religious freedom are not always represented in Hollywood, correct? Mm, that's a good point, yes. Find a gap between what we're told is happening and what's truly happening right. at times. Right. Uh, okay, so this year's edition. Uh, one of the first things you know is you, you, you have six groupings, really broad thematic groupings. And, and let's, let's run through them. One grouping is religious pluralism. What is the focus here? Hmm. Right. So let me just give you a word about those dimensions too. The way they're constructed is they're not they're not um, categories constructed from our own perspective. We we asked a bunch of questions when we constructed this index. We asked as many questions as we could, and then from the results we, we connect the dots. So the way individual respondents answer similarly um, is how we then created these categories. Right. So these categories show. Um, they contain questions to which respondents tend to answer similarly on the topic. Mm -hmm. And then we, we titles after the fact. So that's just worth knowing, I think, before we talk about them. Um, so with the, these categories, we've got religious pluralism, religion and policy, religious sharing, religion in society, church and state, and religion in action. Yes. So religious pluralism is where we ask questions about how, how Americans feel about the basic rights to hold beliefs about God, adhere to a religion, live out the basic tenets of religion in their daily life. Well, so, so religious pluralism really, in a way, it's, it's not necessarily about your own religion, your own belief, it's, it's about others' beliefs as well. Your, your, your willingness, your tolerance for others' beliefs, is that it? Yes, that's right. You know, I, I, if you go back... In, in American history, I think what what isn't always appreciated is just the how remarkable it was in 1780 for you to have you know four different churches in in a small town within a block of one another, and it, and it didn't mean anything. I mean, it, it, it wasn't unusual to have you know Catholic church here, some dissenters uh, of some kind. Here of, I mean, it, it was the mix. I mean, did that? I don't think that happened anywhere in the world, as far as I know. Like the mingling you had in the United States, or the colonies, yeah, even. A uniquely beautiful piece of our country, I think, is that you know this this idea of religious pluralism is kind of. I don't know. You might think of it as a little bit trendy today, but actually, it's not. It's you know, it's as old as our country itself. That that concept that we can really be cooperative citizens, even while we hold fundamentally different beliefs about, about God and how that should, you know, lead us in our daily lives. I think that's, it is, it is very American for sure. Yeah. Uh, for religion and policy, what, what would be an example of, of, of a question or an attitude that would, that would fall into that category? Right. So for religion and policy, so these, these questions, um, these are like the main 21 questions of our index are the ones that fill these buckets. Yeah. And religion and policy would be, you know, when religion intersects with law, with policy, um, 
you know, what should what should happen there? So I think, you know, a good example there would be, um, I want to say, I think our faith-based groups are in that category. You know, whether the government should partner with religious groups and what kind of funding um, should be available to religious groups. And we see Americans very supportive of religious groups accessing funding, you know, the same way as non-religious groups. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we'll we'll we'll, we'll probe some of those more more, more deeply uh, as as we get through these. What about religious sharing? What is religious sharing? What do you mean by that? Religious sharing describes the way we the way we share our religious beliefs with the people around us. So. That would be, you know, in the workplace, in the public square, you know, how Americans feel about the freedom to preach your doctrine or just share your beliefs generally with the people around you. And the next one, religion in society, uh, what would be what would be a measure of religion in, right. in for, society? For religion in society, we would ask, you know, how do you... Do you feel like you appreciate the contributions of people of faith or organizations of faith? And then we've got, you know, church and state, which actually might be more of like that religion and policy. You know, all those little nitty-gritty ways of how the government and religion interact. That can be with, um, you know, with mandates, with restrictions, lockdown restrictions kind of thing. From COVID, very relevant, of course, right now. Yeah. Um, and then with religion in action... That's again, that's kind of that religion in the public square. So maybe not specifically the speech aspect of sharing your beliefs, but religion in action. You know, can you wear your your religious articles to work? And hmm. can you can you pray in public without fear of persecution? And how Americans, how supportive are Americans of those freedoms? Hmm. Uh, the, the the last one, since you, you got your religion in action, church and state. Is that really just how how high and thick people want the wall of separation to be? Mm. I think so. With the church, I've got so many people on the concept just of church and state. And in my podcast, I talk about this too sometimes. Um, you know that idea of the separation of church and state. It's not found in our constitution. It's something that came up later. You know, a nice little phrase that kind of describes describes this relationship. Of, but um, I think it's not so much how sick and high. I think it's partly highlighting that there has to be a relationship between church and state, right? So mm -hmm. they have to interact at some point. And what's the appropriate way that they do? Uh, and so that's, that's more of what we get from the index in that category. Okay. Uh, now, the main finding this year, what, what, is, what is the headline here about... Uh, American support for religious freedom. What do we see? Broadly speaking. So the, the headline I would say is Americans value religion. Maybe Americans bounce back to, to support religion even more than before. Because what we found this year, this is our third year of running the index. So kind of that point where you can start to see some trends. And we see this increasing support for religion and this increasing value placed on religion and its place in our in our culture. You know, we saw in, in 2019, we saw high levels of support. In 2020, we saw a slight dip in support across the dimensions. And then this year, in 2021, we saw 
a total bounce back to that pre-pandemic level of support and even higher levels of support in certain dimensions. So I would say just altogether, Americans are, are finding their voice in confidently supporting religious freedom. And that confidence is something I want to touch on, too, because part of what drives the index higher this year is more confidence. Um, levels of support indicated by Americans. So on all of these questions, you know, we ask them, um, it'll, it'll have a variety of answers, right, that go from strongly agree down to strongly disagree with some in between or, or mostly accept, completely accept, all the way down to, you know, do not accept. And what we found this year is we found more and more people choosing that highest intensity level of support. So, so some big shifts in people who decided that they completely accept one piece of religious freedom or that they completely support it. So that was really encouraging to see. Hmm. Uh, to be more specific, uh, the first key finding that is listed in the report is that Americans generally want, quote, a fair shake for faith-based organizations. Uh, what specifically does that mean, a fair shake for faith-based organizations? Right. So that refers to things like government funds and whether religious groups should be eligible for them. So that and that's a good place to start. So I think what we saw is Americans really value the contributions of faith based organizations. We saw 71 percent of Americans this year that think religious organizations should be equally eligible for government funding as non-religious organizations. And this was a very dramatic increase. This was the most dramatic year to year increase of any question in that main index set of questions. Hmm. And, and I don't know, you know, we don't know exactly what, what drives some of these responses, but I think what underlies that number is just a general increase in appreciation. You know, this year more Americans said that they appreciate the contributions of people of faith to society. Yeah. So it makes me think, you know, in the past year, there's been a lot going on. Maybe, maybe ordinary Americans are looking around and seeing some really great practical results by faith-based groups around them, and that makes them more supportive of them having equal access. Well, I, I so remember, that was, that was, yeah, I remember the Supreme Court case a couple of years back. Uh, was it the Missouri School Playground case in which oh, a, church, a, a church school, the, uh, the state had a fund for schools to apply to redo their playgrounds to make them more safe? Uh, maybe it was kind of a rubbery, that rubbery surface uh, on the on, under the jungle gym and things like that, and the state said religious schools cannot apply because of that whole separation uh, issue. Went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court says, "You know something? Uh, I, I I gather the reasoning was uh, the surface of the playground has nothing to do with religion. For the state to help church schools make safer playgrounds, as much as it does public or charter whatever schools." Uh, that is not endorsing a, a, a religion. That is not promoting the religion. It's just promoting student safety. And I think that your phrasing here about fair shake, that just sounded unfair. It, it, sound, it sounds like bias against religion, that the state is actually taking a position against that. And I think that by far the majority of Americans would say, wait a minute, that's not fair. And this is what came up in your survey. Yes, exactly. So that case you refer to, that Trinity Lutheran case, um, there have been other cases like it too. 
And what's happening in those cases a lot of times is that there are actually on the books in many states, there are anti, there are anti-religion laws, discriminatory anti-religion laws that are still on the books in some states that, you know, may have first, some of them originated in a moment of really high anti-Catholic sentiment, especially. And what there is that the lawmakers at the time put in these laws that said, oh, sectarian schools, they can't, they can't access these public funds. And now that was, this is this is where we see them having to grapple with that constitutionally, right? When Trinity Lutheran went to the Supreme Court, we saw the answer to that. No, you know, that doesn't violate our constitution to have religious schools access these funds. And and yes, you're right. So so Americans do see that as unfair when that happens and they, they don't want it to happen. And they are totally supportive, in fact, of religious organizations having access to funds. And they're also supportive of religious schools having access to funds. And that was that was good to see too, because we specifically asked about, you know, whether schools, religious schools, should be able to access funds if they're going to do something religious. And we saw Americans saying, yes, they should still still be able to access those funds. So yeah, Americans they want they want that equal access. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Next key finding, quote, Americans value religious voices in national conversation. What did you find there? This was, this was really an area, you know, right for conversation, I think. Um, so in addition to the index questions, which are 21 questions that we repeat every year with the exact same language in the exact same order, we also ask supplemental questions. And those are on more timely or contemporary topics, and they're meant to just be able to give us a little context for those year-to-year index findings. So um, this key finding you're mentioning now, some of that we took from some of these supplemental questions. We asked whether uh, whether respondents think that people with religiously-based beliefs and controversial issues should be able to voice them in public. And you know, the answer was loud and clear. We had. 63%, I think, saying, yes, Americans with religious beliefs in controversial conversations should be able to voice them in public. And they want that religious voice to be part of the conversation, even on these hot topics. And yeah. we, we delved into some specifics there, too, and found, found other you know, evidence for great support for this kind of viewpoint diversity. Yeah. So I just want to highlight one of the really encouraging and interesting questions we asked, which was about parents and public education and that was it that was really interesting because what we asked is are parents the primary educators of their children should they be able to opt out of certain public school curriculum that they object to on moral grounds right and we saw a majority of americans saying yes we had 63 percent saying yes parents should have the final say when it comes to what their children learn they should be able to take them out if they want to and we that was even majorities across different political parties which was great to see too that's something that i think americans have in common 
is, you know, wanting parents to have that voice, especially when it comes to their own kids. That was a finding I, I confess was surprising to me that there was strong support, again, across politics, uh, that parents really are, are the final arbiters of what their kids should learn. And I, I'm in the, you know, I live in Virginia, and I think what hit Governor McAuliffe uh, more than anything was that catastrophic statement he made in, in one of the debates in which he said, uh, you know, parents, teachers, schools, not parents, should be deciding what kids should learn. That, I think that was replayed a million times in Virginia. Parents were the ones leading the way, not politicians, you know, Republicans. Uh, the parents were really out in front in those school board meetings, and it reverberated uh, all, across, all across the state, including in Northern Virginia, uh, which tends to be Democrat. Um, so I, it heartens me, actually, that, that mm -hmm. this seems to be holding broadly, nationally, as well. It does. It does. And I think it should give, I think it should give parents confidence too, you know, knowing that, that others believe this is their right as well. And it was interesting, you know, we looked at the crosstabs for political affiliations, but we also looked at whether, whether respondents had kids in the home. And even those who didn't have kids in their own home felt the same way. That's so right. It just seems a common just a common, something that Americans have in common, right? And I think that's something to seize on. And this index showed a lot of commonality, actually, among Americans, more and, than, more than. And, and, and it, it, the commonality, here was really, what was really surprising to me is that there was not a large gap. There was a small gap, uh, but not, you would expect it to be much larger between the opinions of people with strong faith and people with weak or no, no faith. But it looks like the differences mm -hmm. weren't that weren't that large across the board, correct? Correct. That was fascinating for me to see as well. Um, it didn't really seem to track, right? Your beliefs about religious freedom didn't necessarily track with your own concept of your faith. And I also think that that kind of brings up a bigger question, which I'm sure many people are exploring. You know, this this narrative we get about the rise of the nuns and religion decreasing. You know, I'm not sure. It's totally true. Or I, I think it might be too simple of a way of talking about what's going on right now. I think that there is there's a shifting religious experience for a lot of Americans, but I think there's still a religious experience and that Americans still see religion as really an integral part of our, our culture. Yeah. One of the things you found, well, the next one of the next key findings is quote, Americans prioritize houses of worship in a pandemic. Uh, what did that say? Right. So this year we asked Americans what activities should be considered essential. And we, we gave a list and half of them were religious activities founded houses of worship and the other half were non-religious activities, things like protests, concerts, etc. And what we found is the only two activities that a majority of Americans said should be considered essential were funerals and worship at houses of worship. Hmm. Right on their heels were other religious ceremonies, community service at houses of worship, weddings, but trailing far behind were the non-religious activities. So I think 
it's interesting, especially in light of the early days of the pandemic, where we saw everything shut down. And then we saw houses of worship being some of the last to get those restrictions taken off of them. You know, that, that really ran contrary to how Americans feel about what's essential in their daily lives. You know, Does, worship is essential. Yeah. Does this indicate that a lot of people were upset by the closure of churches and temples and others at the same time that Black Lives Matter and other protest marches, people really crowded together, they, they were given a green light. That just, I think that just strikes a lot of people in the same, that, that unfairness here. Religion seems to be uh, denigrated here. Well, it's interesting. You know, the index doesn't ask all, doesn't get all the nuances around that, you know, but I, but I do think whatever, whatever was going on, um, there is definitely a strong conviction among Americans that, that certain things are essential, right? So worship and funerals and, you know, among our Black and Hispanic respondents, the other religious ceremonies and community service at houses of worship were also considered, you know, they should be considered essential. A majority of, of those communities said that. And so that's also interesting, too, right? Because houses of worship play different roles in different communities. And maybe, maybe that community service and other religious ceremonies you know, were more important to certain Black and Hispanic communities during the pandemic. That's something we can't necessarily take exactly from the index, but we can start to ask some questions and do some digging and, and see if that is true. Um, but I do think that there may have been some concern by some people, um, some religious people, that if there were lockdowns and people didn't have to go to church anymore because they couldn't go to church, that maybe they wouldn't come back. And I don't think that's true. I think what this shows is that people really value it and they want to come back. Hmm. Uh, let me come back to another finding regarding the parents. Uh, there was pretty strong backing for giving parents the ability to pull their kids out of classes with, quote, morally objectionable or inappropriate content. Overall, I think that was 63% uh, which of, of, of all Americans. Did that uh, uh, deference to parents surprise you? Well, I, I don't know if I was surprised, but I was pleased because I think we see we see that conflict between parents and between administrators, and you wonder whether the communities in the schools, you know, you wonder what they see as the authority. And it's nice to see that most Americans do agree that parents should be that authority for their kids. And so hopefully that'll just send a message, you know, to anyone who's in a position to make policy like this you know, that really respects parents' views and respects that authority. I would imagine that part of this is, part of that response may be due to the uh, expose of some of the materials that are creeping into school classrooms, down into elementary school grades about sexuality, about critical race theory, things that sort of caught a lot of parents by surprise and that this is, uh, this is a, a, at least to some degree a reaction against that and I think it's a very healthy reaction against it. Mm. And we do see, I mean, that's interesting you bring up, you know, sexuality component, 
we, we ask in the index about support for the freedom to believe certain activities are immoral. And these are things that we see in society. Certain, you know, we ask, is it okay to believe that certain things are immoral, including abortion, you know, in-sex marriage, things like that. Um, and we see really high support for that freedom. So at least in principle, Americans of all stripes um, think that, that people should be able to believe what they believe. And where that comes into a little bit of tension is in some of the real life applications with those beliefs. But I think it's important to note that there is that foundational agreement that, that these are things we can disagree on. Yeah. Uh, now you, uh, last specific question, you also asked about vaccine mandates and religious exemptions. What were the numbers on that question? Right. So we asked, um, we had half the sample got questions where we described a mandate imposed by an employer. And then the other half of the sample got questions where the mandate would be imposed by the government. And between those two, there wasn't a lot of variations. I'm not going to go deep into between those two. But what we saw just for both of them was that either a slight majority, about 51%, or a high plurality, 47%, support religious exemptions. And so, and that was far more than those who did, did not support them emphatically, right? Those numbers of those who did not want exemptions were down, you know, 20% kind of thing, 22%. So many more people support religious exemptions to vaccine mandates, which was interesting to see. And we, we looked a little bit further and, and did a cross-tab on people who work with others or people of faith. And interestingly, that just shot the number up. So Respondents who said they work with people of faith were much more likely to support religious exemptions. Teams we had, you know, going from 48% supporting them up to 59% if you worked with people of faith. That was really interesting. I think just suggests that idea that if you're familiar with people who are people of faith and if you're exposed to their beliefs and you, you see what that means to them, you know, maybe it makes you a little bit more sympathetic to those requests. Yeah. Uh, the, the study is the Religious Freedom Index. Katie Geary with the Beckett Fund. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.